everyone, I'm Dr. Susie Green, founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute, and welcome to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series three, a special 2020 edition. This series, I'll be speaking with leading consultants, educators, and academics who are passionate about positive education to learn from them about their experiences and journeys in creating flourishing students, educators, and whole school communities. Join me as we learn from these inspiring individuals. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. William Dijon. William started his career as a high school teacher, inspiring students to become the first in their families to attend university. For his successes, he received numerous recognitions, including being selected Teacher of the Year among 26,000 teachers in San Diego County. William holds a doctorate in education and brings many lenses to the schools he works with. He's taught at universities in the US and Australia, and he's an internationally recognised researcher. He consults across a range of schools, networks and regions throughout Australia and the US, and he is a sought-after keynote speaker, including appearances at TEDx Canberra, Happiness and Its Causes, and the Young Minds Conference. William's also the founder of Unleashed Learning, an evidence-based teaching and learning system that makes learning stick for everyone. And his latest book, Make Learning Stick for Everyone, is out now. So welcome, William. Great to have you on the show. Hi, Susie. Good morning. <laughs> how, how are things going for you? I know that's a, a bit of a loaded question these days, but uh, yeah. how's uh, the 2020 year been for you so far, uh, given the challenges? Yeah, it's thrown everything up in the air, hasn't it? It's uh, <laughs> Flexibility is the word of the year. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, we've shared these, uh, I guess, similar challenges in as much as uh, the challenges that schools and education faced more broadly, which is why I decided to create a special edition for the Pioneers of Positive Education and to try and gain some insights and wisdom from people like yourself that have had extensive experience in working in schools and in education for many, many years. So we, I would love the audience to know a little bit more about the work that you do. We've been friends and colleagues for quite a long time, and I absolutely love everything that you do. So um, we'd love for you to share a little bit more with the audience. Sure. So it's my 25th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth uh, <laughs> year in the profession. I was a high school teacher for 10 years. I'm from California originally, San Diego County Teacher of the Year a long time ago. Got my master's in curriculum and assessment. I, I got my doctorate in literacy education and taught at universities in both Australia and here. Um, was part of a big nonprofit education group. Got started here in Australia and founded Unleashed Learning quite some time ago because I saw these amazing educators and schools and businesses and organizations who have really great content and struggle to get the content to stick mm. for everyone. So that's what I do. So I, I founded Unleashed Learning. So it's something you're really passionate about, isn't it? And we'll talk a bit more about that today, that that stickability, if you like. But I also know, William, that um, we actually met when we were both keynoting presentations at an early childhood conference. So I know you've done extensive work in early childhood too. Is that right? That's right. I still do. In fact, a lot of uh, early childhood folks are, are using our system for their professional development and work that they do with people. So yeah, I've done lots of retreats with early childhood folks. I've spoken to a lot of early childhood conferences and yeah, and I'm writing an article for 
a magazine right now for early childhood. So yeah. Fantastic. Well, we'll be yeah. sure to share that with uh, the, on our Facebook page. And as you know, I'm also similarly passionate about that area, although it hasn't really had much focus within positive education onto early childhood. Myself and my colleagues, who you know, Daniela Falecki and Lisa Baker, we published, co-authored a paper a few years ago, and we'll also place that on the Facebook page for those that are interested. And then more broadly, William, because both of us also work in the workplace, and that's an area that really needs this focus on stickability. Yes, yes, we do, because uh, like we say, more information is being delivered than ever before, number one. Number two is that if you're just delivering information, you can be replaced immediately because mm. most of your information, I don't mean you, but I'm saying us, you know, yes. us, you, can be found online or in a Google search. So it changes who we are as educators that we have to understand what it takes to get learning to stick for everyone. And the everyone's really important in that part. So I'm really passionate about getting to people who've got important information, ideas, systems, whatever it is that they think can help things get better for the planet, make sure that it's not a situation where someone was in your workshop or online program and was like, that was good, but there's no behavioral change or it doesn't last. So there is a system for it and we teach the system. And once people get the system, they get really laser focused about their approach. So that's what I'm passionate about. Fantastic. And of course, as most people in positive education field are, we're passionate about student learning and well-being, but this is also so focused and important for the educators themselves. And so again, lots of investment has been made uh, and will continue to be made in training or workshops or professional development for teachers around the concepts of positive education. But my concern has been for a long time around the transfer of training or the learning retention. So again, it'll be great to hear more about that as we talk a bit more today, William. Yeah, great. So what brought you, I mentioned that we met at an early childhood conference, but what brought you or your business to adopting a positive approach? And I think we'll find that like a lot of other schools and people working in this space that they might not necessarily call it positive education, but certainly the work that you do from my perspective would fall under that umbrella term. So I'd love to hear about that. Sure. So uh, I remember meeting you and you were talking about this positive ed, positive psychology, and I say stuff. I'm not being patronizing. I was like, what is this stuff she's talking about? (laughs) Because I didn't know that. And the reason we met for that coffee years ago was because I said, oh, you know what we do And what we talk about in education is what you're talking about, what we talk about in different kinds of ways. So I think about education as an act of freedom, education as liberation, education as transformation, education not as delivery of information. So my approach, my reason for being in the profession was because I still believe it's about transforming people's lives and helping the world get better. And if you're a math teacher, it's about that. If it's science, it's about that. If you're a business person running PD, it's about that. So that approach, what brought me to it is, well, learnings is I'm lucky because I'm a gay person. And what happened to me was literacy basically saved my life. So I understand firsthand what education as an act of freedom is. So I am older, so there was no internet when I came of age, which meant that being gay with no examples or role models or vision and what it was a really violent experience. So mm. I found somehow I was in San Diego, I was in college and I found there was a gay and lesbian literature section in the library. And I was too nervous to check a book out, but mm. I wasn't too nervous to go every night and just read. And so the reading, it was liberation. 
And then the liberation continued because I was lucky as an English major in college and I was surrounded by black women's stories and feminist literature and people whose experiences that made their identities might not have been mine, but I go, oh my God, that's me. So it was light filling. And so it kind of turned me into wanting to ensure that education was about liberation. And so that approach has really continued to impact what I do, what I'm about. And that goes back to, you know, most people I talk to, if I say, why do you do what you do in education spaces? It usually comes from their background. So I fell in love with literature. So I became an English teacher. I just love maths or, you know, pause ed. It really woke me up. So I want to go teach that. So we teach who we are and who I am was about liberation and freedom. And, and so that's what brings me and that informs everything I do today. That's why the everything, you know, making stick for everyone, the everyone's really, and we got to know what everyone means. And that's what I'm really passionate about. Wow. That's so powerful, William, the story of what brought you and what's driving you. And I know that you do keep that at front of mind in everything that you do. But I also know from having spoken to many educators over the years that, as you said, most of them do come in to make a difference. But I think sometimes people lose sight of that when there's such a busy curriculum and so much stress and pressure. Would you agree? Yeah. And you got partly with that, I say, we've got to use the system, not be used by the system. Mm. And so what it means then is if we know why we're doing what we're doing, we've got to, I mean, that's probably one of the other reasons we're friends and colleagues is that you're part of my community of practice, my community, you know, you can't be a practitioner of freedom unless you're around others who are practicing freedom. So the days, you know, there are days where I'm kind of down and not trusting and then I get to have coffee with you or vice versa. <laughs> and we, so we have to create a network of support. Uh, Margaret Wheatley says we've got to create islands of sanity right now. Yes. And, and, and the other piece is there's no disrespect to my colleagues when I say what I'm about to say, but most of my colleagues were never in the organization that I was in. So it meant that I knew people all over the world that I could have a Skype call. or I, So when it did get difficult, I could stay focused. And I knew where my North Star, I still know where it is. It changes some days, but we need to do this together. It's on, a, it's on an individualistic process. Yeah. And I think you've been doing this for such a long time. And, uh, and I think my experience is that even just recently that these topics of equity, diversity and inclusion are becoming more commonly discussed or more openly discussed and becoming more of a priority. And um, I guess I'm curious, and I know we have had some discussions that that might be you know, a little bit frustrating at times for you when uh, this has been something you've been passionate about for a long time, but hopefully also a little bit inspiring that things are starting to change, maybe not at the pace we would we would like, but uh, things are slowly starting to change. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. And so, as you know, William, POSED has historically, and just had this wonderful discussion with Associate Professor Peggy Kern from Melbourne Uni in one of the recent interviews that I just did, talking about positive education moving to 2.0 or POSED 3.0, because positive psychology, we now have a couple of published papers on positive psychology 2.0 and more recently 3.0 in terms of the evolution. And in the early days of POSED, from my perspective, it was very, very focused on well-being well-being enhancement. And I guess what I've also observed this year is that it seems to be, oh, we don't really need to focus on that. It's sort of a nice to have rather than seeing it as a mental health imperative, which I mm. believe it certainly is mental health immunisation, 
But also, as you're sort of referring to, it's these concepts are so much more than that. They're about who you are as a person. And again, both from an educator and from a student's perspective, and uh, I guess a much bigger picture behind that. And clearly, this is an area that you're really passionate about. You've spoken about education as liberation and freedom. And I would love to hear more about that from your perspective, if you have anything. Well, I think um, not to plug my book. I'm just, yes. just saying my book comes out actually today. So yeah, congratulations. Yeah, so it comes out today. But and I'm, the only reason I'm mentioning this is I think what this is about is I remember I had a, my doctoral program. I had a professor who I disagreed with all the time, but now <laughs> I agree with him. And so he used to say to us in class that schools can't do everything. So stop it, focus. Mm. And I'd say, but da da da. And so now what I'm really clear about is making learning stick for everyone is the transformation because the stickiness is how you create transformation. So if something sticks, it has the potential to wake somebody mm. up. It has a behavioral change. It ha- so all the reasons we, you know, in, in your field, teach what you do is you want it to stick because that's how you get the outcomes. It's not necessarily just the information. So I tell you that because we have to know, and I, this is a Northern hemisphere metaphor, pardon me, but yes. we got to know what the North star is. So what I say is making learning stick for everyone is the focus of the organization so it's not well-being for the sake of well-being in my mm. although I'm not negating this. What I'm mm. saying is it's well-being to get learning to stick for everyone. That's why our system, we talk about who learners are as part of the system. We talk about who the educator is part of that. We talk about inclusion. Part. Because if you know what north is, then, and I talk about the ship as an analogy, if you're sailing the ship, there's all these pieces of the ship you've got to use, and well-being is a part of that. So we know who a teacher is matters. We just know that absolutely who a teacher is matters. So the well-being part and the identity part, the values part, all that, it is in service to getting learning to stick for everyone. But what I see sometimes is the school goes and does a well-being, and it sounds patronizing, I don't mean it the way, but does it goes off on this thing about well-being or now we're doing this about technology and now we're doing this. And I always say, but why are you doing it? Mm. Why are you doing it? And they have all these great reasons, but I say the North Star is to get learning to stick for everyone because that's why we're in the business. And these are all the tools that help that to happen. So I think we've got to say, what, where's land? And then use all the tools. And well-being is really, really important because from an equity perspective, just if I don't feel safe in a room, we just didn't unleash learning TV about this, but from an equity perspective, if I don't feel seen, you can teach me about values all day long, but I don't feel seen here. So the well-being piece is about getting learning to stick, and then it streamlines the process for everybody. I think it's really exciting, and that's why well-being for the service of, that's what I think about. For the service of, absolutely. And we've had some great discussions around the research and science of of well-being on, on learning, and I've also appeared on your own podcast or TV as well, William, too, and we do know um, as we've discussed that there's so much research to show, as you rightly quoted on the flip side, there's decades of research to show that when kids aren't feeling well and there are mental health issues or disorders that learning really suffers. But increasingly, I guess thanks to the science of positive psychology in the main, we know that the conscious cultivation of positive emotions, so bringing some I joy and some lightness into the learning environment for the student and the educator 
has a significant positive impact on well-being. So you combine all of these in the work that you do and perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about the actual on the ground or you know at the chalk face the work that you do with schools, William. Sure. Well, what we do is we teach the system that makes learning stick. The way I explain the system is you've got to think of it like a boat and you're the captain of the ship. And you've got to know first where you're going to go. And then you've got to know what the tools are on the ship and not be distracted by the tools. So one of the things I was thinking about when you made the comment about like the positive emotion, sometimes what educators will hear is, oh my gosh, I've got more to do. Yes. And what, what happens with us is when they learn our system, then when someone brilliant like you comes along and they learn about positive emotions, they'll go, oh, it fits into the system. So all of a sudden, it's like you're not jumping off your sailboat you're getting a little bit more information about the sail or the rudder or the steering wheel. You're not getting on a new ship. So what it does is it lowers the cognitive load, keeps them really, really focused. And then it provides a common language for the school organization. So the days that learning doesn't stick, which happens, then you've got a way of looking at with your colleagues yourself, what's happening here. So another piece is what's happening. You know, I've talk to you forever about this, but this word delivery, we need to ban in the profession because delivery is a pedagogical approach that does not make learning stick. So we often say, how do you deliver it? Well, that's not what you need to be doing. You've got to actually make learning stick and there's a system for that. So we help kind of a little bit shifting of the thinking and then we show the tools. And once they get the tools, they're like, oh my gosh, this lowers my stress levels, increases my effectiveness, and I'm reaching more people. And it's really satisfying. So that's the meaning and purpose piece because it goes back to their values, you know, why you're doing this. So our mission is to help people make learning stick for everyone. And we've got to know what everyone means. So the everyone is identities, right? Race, gender, sexual orientation, languages. We have to really see who's in the room and then be able to reach everybody. And it's it's really satisfying because we build community and relationships and it's fun. It's just so satisfying. Yeah. So when I first started working in positive health, working with educators, you know, I was quite surprised at the response was, wow, we've never had anything like this before. It's always been focused on the students or the curriculum, not about us. And I guess as a psychologist, my whole career has been about I or the development of, of the self and our relationships with others more broadly as well. And so I'm curious when you go into schools and you're I guess coming in and the focus is on or your the name of your business is Unleash Learning. Are people similarly or educators similarly surprised that you're asking them to reflect on their identity? Yeah, I get the biggest pushback about it. So we have uh, the new teacher companion in schools, this program, and the mentors who run it say, we, they love it, but the identity piece, they don't get why we're doing that. But there's no judgment about that statement. What the awareness is, is that for the most part, it's a very white middle-class profession. And it's, I think, even more so in Australia than in the States, although the States, it's mostly white middle-class people who, the people who become educators usually made it through the system. The people who didn't make it through the system or had a bad experience don't become teachers. So what that means for us as educators is we have to, now I had a really bad experience in school because I was a gay man and it's violent. Yes. So I entered because I wanted to say it doesn't have to be like that. So there are people who enter because it, they know it doesn't feel. So when they take our programs, they do work of that reflection space and then they share and they start going, why have I never thought about this? Before? Mm. And then sometimes what happens is I get a lot of pushback, the identity piece. But then years later, 
someone will come back and go, it's stuck for me now. So I let people be where they are. Unleashed Learning TV, you know, we constantly talk about, I've just got an interview coming out from a leader in equity comes out next week. So I'm trying to think of some of your strengths language, but be flexible, not be reactive. Let people be where they are unless, you know, there have been things that have been said that I do respond to, of course. But we are a mostly white middle-class profession where school worked for us. And a lot of times when they do their reflection piece, a lot of people can't tell me times what it wasn't working for them. And that's and what we used to say in the States was it's not a dropout rate, it's a pushout rate. So there's a lot of students who are pushed out because it doesn't look like them, doesn't feel like them. So it's a really important piece and I'm passionate about. And look, I'm learning too. This is not, I got it, you don't. We're in this together, teach me. But there's definitely been an increase in awareness, um, at least that I've observed. And again, not for everyone. I'm not making a a sweeping Uh statement, but I've certainly seen some increase. And I I guess, again, I'm curious uh, around whether the introduction of mindfulness, which has really been embraced quite extensively within positive education, which, as you know, William, at its very least, it's an attention training skill, but there's so much more to it in terms of raising our consciousness, raising our awareness of the beliefs that we have that perhaps we've never questioned before. And I think, you know, having these important discussion points through programs like yourself and the ones that we run where people do actually have the opportunity to pause and reflect on who they are and to question mindfully the beliefs and the mindsets and whether they're still working for them and actually for the world. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great one. Is it working for the world? And also I would just add to that, I think we need a diversity. We've talked about this, but we need a diversity literacy so that when they do the mindfulness, they have a framework from which to be mindful of. So for Mm. example, if they're mindful of power in their mindfulness, then they're seeing their classroom themselves there. So I think we also need to add a diversity literacy. And I'm constantly learning and thinking and wondering and messing up. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It's part of the the learning process, isn't it? So William, what would you say have been some of your greatest learnings so far when it comes to creating flourishing student staff or whole school communities? Well, pedagogy matters. So it matters, it matters, it matters. And and one of the things that your listeners could think about is in the book, I talk about this, but show, don't tell. Mm. So show, don't tell. It's a pedagogical approach. And what I realized from people is that, and you probably experience it with your kids, right? Like when I talk to parents, you don't tell kids because they just shut down. But if you bring people in that look like them who explain, like, tell me how you did that. or And it looks like them and you do it enough. And change takes time. So I really, for some of the communities I worked with, it took two years. Right. So I needed to know how long it change actually took to sink in, but also show not tell became an approach. So it became an approach for what the classroom looked like. It becomes an approach to the literature we read. It becomes an approach to the guest speakers I bring in and letting learners show each other rather than, than me telling. So that's why it's not a delivery approach. There's a system that makes learning stick and show don't tell is a really important approach that helps change happen. I'm thinking it's also leads into what 
when we're talking about posit, we often talk about it being explicit and implicit. So there's definitely, I believe, a place for the explicit teaching and learning of uh, the principles, but there's the implicit is so powerful in terms of the language, as you said, the literacy, the policies, the procedures, the visual imagery, um, which also impacts on how we feel, the climate, the emotional climate. There's so much in there. And you attend to that too, don't you, in the work that you do? That's the system. I mean, that's why we say in the system, the classroom matters, the teacher matters. We know the science of it from an education standpoint. So that's why it fits really well with what you do. And then what we do is we help them take that stuff and really reach everybody. And the great, I think the great part is for the educator or practitioner that we work with, it can lower their stress levels. So it actually lowers their cognitive load because they're laser vision. So that's what I'm passionate about too, because they tell me that increases their effectiveness and lowers their stress levels. So that's what I think is really fun about it. That the book, I talk about how to use it and stuff in the system, but that's what educators say. I feel more effective. My stress level's down. I'm reaching more people. That gives me joy. Absolutely. And we know, again, from decades of research that firstly, teachers are one of the professions that have the highest levels of stress. And we also know that stress significantly impacts on our capacity to think broadly, to see options and to really question our mindsets, I guess, as well. So that reduction of stress and the increasing of positivity, if you like, is so important when it comes to our mindsets too. See why we get along? Absolutely. And I just love, uh, you know, the combination of the psychology and the education. And that's something, you know, that we've had lots of discussions around because I've certainly learned a lot with uh, not having education as my background. And I consider myself an educator in, in a sense. But yeah, so it's just wonderful to have these discussions, William. Fantastic. Me too. So, William, we, we haven't got a lot of time left today. And of course, we, you and I can talk till the cows come home, as they say. But um, yeah. what do you think is the future of positive education? I mentioned that we're moving towards a 2.0 or 3.0. What do you think? We, we were sitting here, great coaching question, and we're sitting it here. Is in, a good coach. I was thinking <laughs> the same thing, it's a great coaching question. Yeah, maybe five years, even less. What would we be talking about or what would you like to be telling me? Uh, well, it's two things is that it's not about delivery, so that in what the practitioners, educators, whoever they are, are really masters at making learning stick for everyone. So that sticking becomes part of the conversation rather than delivery. Because I don't think it's an issue of we don't have the content. Like, we've got the content. We know stuff. Yes. It's the sharing of that stuff and helping to create the behavioral change. So I really hope with that the pedagogy becomes forefront in the process. It just becomes forefront of how we, we do that. Number two is, of course, I go back to, I was thinking PERMAs. I want to add an S, right? Add S for social justice. Love it. Because I want the space, because I think it's a very white space. Yes. And so I, in the next five years, let's have diversity, equity, inclusion be a massive part of what we're doing. Because again, you could teach me all day long about values and strengths, but as a gay person, if I never see myself ever represented, ever, or people are describing family, it doesn't describe me, or they describe women, it's not the woman that I am. I mean, you know what I mean by that. Yes. That, that's, that's a well-being issue. So the essence, the stories we tell matter, and who's connected to those stories is a well-being question to me. So I want to add an S. Let's do S, PERMAs. 
I absolutely love that. And you're absolutely correct. And I don't think those connections have been made strongly enough yet that diversity, equity and inclusion is a wellbeing issue. And we often see even in the workplace still sitting quite separate as an approach or as a f- area of strategic focus disconnected from mental health and well-being as well. Yeah. So they're, they're so important. And I also uh, recall it was a probably nearly 10 years ago when I was called into a fairly large global company that wanted me to come and talk to them about this concept of unconscious bias, which I'd never heard of at the time, actually, William. So we're talking before anyone was actually using this term. So they were you know, fairly ahead of their time. This And again, as I mentioned, a leading global consultancy. And so I did a bit of a Google and I thought, well, I know what the unconscious is. I'm a psychologist and I know what bias is, but I realised that it was um, defined as a, a legal term more so. But I remember going into this organisation, sitting down in the foyer, there's this huge image picture on the wall of emerging leaders. And um, I did a quick head count and there were like six guys, uh, yeah. probably more, eight men and three women. <laughs> and um, and I was in there. When I got in there, they said, now we want to talk to you about we've got a really significant challenge with women moving into leadership positions. And I said, oh, has anyone uh, noticed the uh, picture in the yeah. foyer? And they all went, yes. It's actually been there for a while now. And I said, okay, so how many women versus how many men? And none of them could tell me, you know, so... And were they all white? <laughs> From memory, yes, they were all white as well. But again, yeah, it's just really interesting sort of highlighting the power of um, the environment as well. And I was going to say, I just read a great quote yesterday around looking at compassion in workplaces and the suggestion that we don't just need to look at the seed, which is our own individual ability to be compassionate, but we need to look at the soil, which is what can the organisation do to create a compassionate organisation as such, not just at the individual position. So um, I'm curious too, just one final question because we're running out of time, but what I see and I hear again and again is that we don't have time, but we don't have the space to one teach positive psychology, number one is probably one, to do the professional development that's required, to provide coaching, which really is a self-reflective space that is what coaching provides and doesn't have to be a professional external coach. It could just be peer coaching. But again and again, I hear that the timetable and the crowded curriculum does not allow. So are you like me, (laughs) I guess, leaning and moving towards greater discussions around what needs to change from that bigger systems perspective around education? Well, that's why I say that, again, what I'm thinking out loud about is if making learning stick for everyone, we've got a school in Melbourne, and I think they're about to, their strategic plan is shifting. So it'll be make learning stick for everyone is the focus, right? And they use our system. Well, then what happens is what's happening, we're all kind of distracted and overwhelmed. Everyone just overwhelmed. Yes, But this is also a learning piece because if we don't learn in facts, figures, numbers, workshops, we learn in stories, symbols, metaphors, or we have a better chance of remembering that, right? So what happens is if they've got a system, and I'm talking about ours, but whatever they use, you got a system that the school or organization from a learning perspective is easily understood and used, and we all know where North is. Then as more information comes into the system, like the important work you do, it can fit into it and it doesn't feel overwhelming to people. So it means that I've got a superstructure, I've got North Star, I've got my ship. We all know what the ship is. Everyone's on their own ship, but we know the ship. You come in or another, 
And as the more information comes in, so a learning system is a living system. That's what Margaret Wheatley's work is. That's a living system. So, but the information has to come into an existing system. Otherwise, people completely are shutting down right now. So I think if we've got that superstructure, make learning stick for everyone, here's the system, then as information comes in, they go, oh, it fits into that and that and that. And it's just strengthening my ship, not putting me on a new boat. That's what I'm seeing happen. Absolutely. Well, it's a great conversation to be had and a continuing conversation, isn't it? The evolution of education. And there's so much we could talk about, but I have two final questions. Go for it. One is if there was a book or a podcast that you'd recommend besides your own, and we're certainly going to put up information on your own, which one would be your go-to? Come on, there's so many. I would read Parker Palmer's Courage to Teach. Mm. Parker Palmer's Courage to Teach. Anything with any Bell Hooks book, I would read. But Parker Palmer, if you need some inspiration, but the Courage to Teach, because a lot of what we're talking about, I, I shouldn't say that, but there's things in there that allude to what we're talking about here. Wonderful, wonderful. We'll we'll certainly put that up. And finally, what about your own well-being, William? What's something that you do that helps you maintain a flourishing life? Um, well, shocking for me to even say this. <laughs> now I run three times a week. <laughs> I just can't even believe how, and then also this is a little bit about you because you kind of forced that, but so I, you know, lift weights three times a week also. And I'm just finding that is just, and you would talk about positive rituals. So what's happened is it's 7am. It's just a ritual. So that ritual really helps kickstart my morning. But the second part is I would just say is I've got bigger stories on my better days of what's going on to tap into. So I've got Mm. stories about you know, I understand the hero's journey. I understand. I mean, when I say understand in my own way, yes. the soul, I understand well, as a gay person, you know, bigger system and the brilliance about the gift of that in the society. So it's the bigger story that I can place my life in the days that are tough. Yeah. So powerful, isn't it? That's really, really important. So lit- again, literacy is an act of freedom. Yes. You know? Thank God for stories because that has been liberation for me. Absolutely. Well, thank you, William. Thank you so much for sharing. (laughs) Thank you. And thanks, everybody. Thank you. And keep doing the wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Susie. Thank you so much for listening to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series three, special edition 2020. If you're enjoying the series and you're a school leader who wants to take a strategic and sustainable approach to positive education in your school, contact us at info at thepositivityinstitute.com.au to find out more information about our Pioneers of Positive Education Mastermind Group, which we'll be launching in 2021. In the meantime, you might like to check out my new podcast, The Positivity Prescription, available on iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to sign up for our free e-news at the Positivity Institute website, where you'll be kept in the loop for all things positive. Bye for now.